Your Hollywood system stole our sex and co-opted our violence, so there's nothing left for our kinds of movies. <laughs> I did not hit her. It's not true. Clopex. 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 Up yours, baby. Me and Bubba, my little brother, listen to you every night. Where in the hell are we? I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hey guys, and welcome to episode three. This week we're doing Cecil B. Demented. Uh, it's directed by John Waters. It was written by him also. Uh, we're going to talk about the film. We're going to let you know what we thought about it. I think it's going to be a good show. So uh, thanks for listening, and we will, uh, well, you know what? We'll just start the show. guys hey welcome to this uh this week's episode we're doing Cecil B. Demented I'm really uh excited to uh talk about this movie because I have so many questions and I also have uh just so many thoughts about this movie so I'm really uh, excited to talk about it you uh, I'm Cody Everett your host by the way you can find me on uh Instagram at the official Cody Everett you can also find me on Facebook under Cody Everett you can find this show uh on Facebook at Cold Films and Review and you can also find us on Twitter at Colt underscore review. And you can email us at ColtFilmsInReview at gmail.com. That is a lot of information. But uh, thanks for listening to it. Please rate us five stars on iTunes and uh, subscribe. It helps us out a bunch. We're just a little podcast that uh, hopefully can do good. So thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I'm going to start off. Uh, my week has been uh, pretty cool. My uh, grandpa came into town this week. It was nice. I uh, got to go see him. Uh, we went to my uh, nephew's uh, baseball game. Then we went to, has anyone been to the Oregon Pizza Company thing? What? It's just a big organ in the middle of the room, and you eat pizza and yell at each other because no one can hear because of a giant organ. Anyone been there? Oregon? No. Yeah, an organ. I thought you were saying Oregon. Who plays no, the an organ. organ? An old guy. Where the hell is this? So at? your Mesa. Your, your table is uh-huh. like uh like like a like a table like it's a, a table. bench. It's the it's like a bench. The organ is a bench that no, you sit no. on. No. <laughs> the, the organ, organ is the table part or the bench part. No, I think the organ is a separate entity yes, within the, the center is, of the It's, the, it's the like room the whole the organ's actually like the whole restaurant. It's got pipes for the organ going all over the restaurant. So it's all over. Hmm. It's weird. It's a weird place. It's kind of cool. A little expensive. So I'm not I was going like to say that, on it. that seems like a uh, that seems like a hell of a, a business gamble. It, it, dude, they're making hand over fist. So, like what? You, you're sitting there, you're eating pizza, and it's like fucking fan of the opera in yeah. there, and people are just like, I'm out of I'm out of ranch dressing. <laughs> boom, boom. He does take tips. He does take tips. What was that looking like? Pretty full. It was. Yeah. It was. And then, dude, when he was. Wrong career choice. When he was done playing, the place cleared out. Empty. Well, if you're not coming for the organ, what, what are you pizza, going there for? Sucks, that's what I. I can't, no, their pizza. Okay, 14 inch large. That's a large 14 inch. That's pretty small. 18.99. Ouch. Yeah. Ooh. That's like they're a making fuck. a killing. <laughs> what are they putting? I feel in like those? I should pepper Jeez. in some organ Jeez. tones during this conversation. Sauces. I wonder if they just hire old like Nordstrom piano players. 
It's like what they do is they moonlight at the Oregon <laughs> since pizza the, place. Since, since Nordstrom doesn't have piano players well, anymore. <laughs> they don't, well, Nordstrom has to close at like, what, nine? I don't think they do that anymore, man. They don't? I don't think well, so. What's the point of going to Nordstrom anymore then, right? <laughs> hey, Mike, uh, how was your week? Where can people find you at? Oh, uh, well, you can find me at, at Mike Salustio on Twitter or... You could read my blog, Friendly Neighborhood Filmmaking, at FriendlyNeighborhoodFilmmaking.com. And you want to know about my week? I would, yeah, we'd like to know something. <laughs> I watched Daredevil all week. How was it? Yeah. It was fantastic. I'm in episode six right now. I hear great things. It's, it's really good. What you heard was correct. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Chris. Hey. Yes. Where can people find you at? How's your week going? My week is going great. Um, let's see. We, yeah, nothing ha- nothing bad has happened. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that. Where can people find you at? Um, you could find me at midnightreleasing.com, braindamagefilms.com. That's a local uh, film distri- distribution company in the Phoenix area. Uh, I work there, and it's great. You could also find me at Guarorama on Instagram. All right. Kyle Smith. Yes, sir. Where can people find you at? How was your week? Um, people can find me at uh, Pliskin426 on Instagram and uh, Facebook.com slash Bluefield Audio. Uh, my week has been uh, up and down. The up part being, yes, I am also deep into the Daredevil saga as well. I think I'm on episode uh, excuse oh me, my God. seven right now. <laughs> Can't even talk. He's so excited. About it. <laughs> Let me clear that throat out there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I'm on episode seven. Fantastic show. Like, um, I'm going to say it's probably better than some of the movies that Marvel's put out. Like, I'd agree. It's, it's Ghost Rider. Better than Ghost Rider, for sure. Well, God damn. You, I don't, you, I'm you know. sorry. I didn't set the bar very high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the downside was I had to get my car fixed this uh, week. That's which, always expensive. Yeah, which pisses me off because I knew exactly what was wrong with it, but I didn't want to risk making it worse by driving it to get it you know get the engine codes checked by like autozone or something so i was spending 250 dollars to get it fixed but i could have done it myself for like 80 so that's always a nice there you go you're paying nice. for that you're paying for that labor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's so exactly what do. it was exactly what it was you gotta pay for that labor bullshit is what i'm paying for all right guys so the movie we're here to talk about is cecil b demented it's directed by john waters it had a 10 million dollar budget here's my first question for you what yeah $10 million budget. Here's my first question for you. Where did the budget go? <laughs> well, it didn't go into the special effects, that's for sure. Yeah. Not <laughs> at all. Not. Where did it go? Where Where did he use the $10 million? I think I it have all no went into Melanie Griffith's That's got to be the case. Pockets. It has to be because, the, this. I mean, there's not that many sets. It's shot mostly either outside or in a studio and then like maybe three or four studio sets if that it had to be the like it had to mostly go into the set design of uh the demented you know home base the layer the yeah, layer the they layer. hung some rags <laughs> <laughs> no that was like a that was like a serious like um that was like a, their sleeping quarters was impressive kind of reminded me of that game the match game or something it reminded, <laughs> it reminded yeah. me of the sleeping layer of the ninja turtles Okay. Kind yeah. No, it was pretty bum. I think most maybe most of the money went into repainting their delivery truck for every <laughs> fucking scene. <laughs> I think um, with Crayola crayon. Yeah, I think it went into <laughs> cast for sure was a lot of the money. I think music, a lot of money was probably spent there too. Um Oh geez, don't give me a start on the music. <laughs> well, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> there are certain mm-hmm. scenes in the film where the music is real corny, but the sa- actual soundtrack of the film has a lot of pretty notable names on it. 
So we think the budget went into the main actress then. I think that's no, a, well, the yeah. biggest part of it. Is this yeah. a, is this pre or post Blade? This this was two thousand. Two thousand. I don't know when Blade came. I out. think that was like ninety yeah, something. No, this could Blade. be when this could have been when Stephen Dorth was at the top of his game. I think Blade was in. Wasn't that in like late nineties, like ninety eight? Yeah, it could be. So yeah, I'm saying like Stephen Dorth. He went from Blade to uh, Cecil B. Demented. He was an A lister at the time. We got to explain what the movie's about. Oh yeah. Okay, okay, so the movie, if you don't know, if you haven't seen it yet, is about a group of film terrorists who kidnap uh, a main Hollywood stream actress and basically force her to act in their movie. Um, that's what it's about. That's pretty much. But there's so many. There. Okay, so there, here's my thing too. There's so many. I don't know what they're poking fun at. Is that weird to yeah, say? Yeah, no, I, I totally am right there Because I feel like, like, I don't know if the joke's on the audience or if it's on the filmmakers themselves. Yeah, like the whole the whole tattoo thing and like, so like each character in the film um, has a tattoo, which they're, it's, I guess they're supposed to embody the characteristics of that filmmaker, but I just didn't see it. Well, no, th- uh, there's that, but there's also like the whole like, down with mainstream cinema, but th- this had a ten million dollar budget, right? Okay, so they're in a, in its way, and then it's like it's kind of saying too, like, well, we're making a cult film, so down with the like mainstream, f- like it's making fun of, I don't know, in a way, I feel like it's making fun of mainstream media, but uh, cinema, but it's all or media or whatever cinema movies, it, but it's also making fun of independent films at the same time. And the people who make independent films. I don't know. No, Am you, I the yeah. only one who feels that? No, I think you're on the right track. No, I, yeah, I think you're on the right track, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's kind of like, it's kind of, it's. have you seen the show Portlandia? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Portlandia makes fun of like, I mean, they're definitely, it'll make fun of feminism, it'll make fun of, like, liberal kind of attitudes and, like, veganism and stuff like that. I mean, it embraces it, but at the same time, it pokes fun at it. It's like poking fun at yourself, and I don't think there's anything necessarily yeah. wrong with that. That's that's exactly what I would say. I, I think it totally pokes fun at itself. It's like, it's basically, it was written by a director who went from one extreme to the other. Like, you know, he did, like, he started underground filmmaking, in that era when it was like fun to do that and when it was rebellious to do that. And then he eventually grew up and had his opportunity to do the Hollywood films and he did the Hollywood films and he saw like the ridiculousness that it was. And even though he can still pull in $10 million for a film, his films are still considered independent films, you know, like, and he, he could have played the Hollywood game and he does to an extent enough to keep his name out there. But ultimately he, you know, he knows he's an independent filmmaker and he gets away with saying whatever he wants so he can just do it because he does it in a comedical way. Yeah, but I, I, that's I guess what I'm trying to say is like I'm not really sure what he was. If I, he felt like he was making fun of everyone, like he was making fun of, uh, like I said, independent filmmakers and mainstream media, but our mainstream movies. I keep on saying mainstream media. You know, it's drilling your head when you watch TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, or read Facebook. Anyways, I, I just like it. Just did anyone else pick up on that? Like, yeah, yeah. I think um, I don't know. I, I agree with you. It kind of did. It didn't feel like uh, it didn't feel like it had um, a direction in which the the satire was truly aimed. Like, like that wasn't defined. Like when the film was being made. Like I think it feels like a big middle finger to just filmmaking as a whole. But, but 
Go ahead. No, yeah, I was also going to say it also makes fun of like uh, the main character who is a, who is an, a washed up Hollywood actress and who do, goes and does an independent film and gets famous again, which is like a thing that actually happens in Hollywood. So it's making fun of a real situation, but that's also what I think she was trying to achieve by taking this role. Yeah. Because what has she done? What what had Melly? Uh, uh, what's her last name? Griffith. Griffith done before this. Oh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, exactly. I can't, I can't I'm not remember. big on her on her filmography. <laughs> I'm sure exactly. she did something. I don't think she ever like was dead as an actress. I don't think she was dead as an actress when she took the took the role. No, but I think in 2000, yes. Definitely. Oh well, yeah, that is two thousand. I always, every time I watch a John Waters movie, I feel like I'm watching something from like the eighties or the nineties. Like, <laughs> they just all look aged already. <laughs> is that a, is that a well? Is that saying that the material is dated itself, or I that think so? I think I think the material, the stuff he he talks about, and focuses on is it's nothing fresh, it's nothing original. That is a dog in the background. Oh that wow, that dog is sound like he was in the room. Man, he was in the back alleyway <laughs> behind the studio. Okay, but I have a question. All of you guys, I mean, we were all we're all uh, we've all done worked on independent films in the past. How many of the jokes did you laugh at only because you understood it from like a film? lover or a filmmaker's perspective give me an example of most the of jokes. them i think that's what most of the jokes are aimed towards it's it's like maybe gp general public can can understand yeah. some of it but a lot of it is like for like a filmmaker or a film lover right like digest. for instance there was what was the joke that two guys come in and were like we're non-union everybody get down we're taking over this th-. like who the hell knows what non-union I is know, like it's, not it, it's heavy-handed towards yeah. the industry for sure for sure. And I think you have to kind of, you know, you, I think when you get, you know, you have such a long run as a filmmaker, like you start to get silly about like what you've gone through and what you've seen. And I think like he won <clears throat> any John Waters film takes anything to the extreme. It's theatrical. It's like way over the top. It's way heavy handed, you know, it's in your face. They're not trying to like be clever or sly about it. They're just like, I'm going to say this fucking thing, like just straight out, you know, but it's funny because it's so over the top that you just kind of are like, huh, you have to laugh at it. Mm-hmm. But also being over the top, he does give a message across in his film. I can give him that. Like he definitely has a statement to stay, say in that film. I might not be able to pinpoint what it is myself, but I know there's a message there in, in, in the film, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know, then that's where I'm confused. I don't know if the message is, you know, fuck the mainstream or fuck, uh, you know, independent films. I think it's both. I think it's just, there is the, there's part of him that's saying like, oh God, the cookie cutter mainstream Hollywood film, like it'll just, you know, by the numbers and everything like that. And then you go, of course, have like these this film school mentality where I'm going to go out and I'm going to change the fucking world, man, and blah, blah, blah. And these guys are also kind of like lost in the fucking clouds. Like there's a happy medium somewhere between those two. And both of these things are way extremes. Mm -hmm. And I think he's poking fun at that, that maybe not Hollywood isn't all what's wrong. And maybe a fucking film student that comes out of film school and thinks he's going to make the next, you know, David Lynch film. He might be a little off the wall too. Okay. Well, you know, I, I also um, just I don't know, man. The movie is just it's it. it, 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 it I, I like that it makes me ask questions. That I like um, the acting. Let's talk about that. Okay, so in the characters too, um, the the filmmakers themselves. Did anyone else just hate and despise them like I did? Yeah, I hated and despised them because they're every they were every filmmaker that I hate. 
Yeah, I think that's true. But no, I think that's part of it, too. I think that is totally part of it. They show you so many different personalities like like they they really try to split it up. And I think that's why they 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 focus on the tattoo thing, because that's supposed to be symbolism as to who their character is and what they're like and what why they're there. And you know what I mean? Like products of those filmmakers, if you will. So I think that that is important. But at the same time, like. Yeah, none of them are really likable. Some of them, they're, you know, kind of flat, kind of one-dimensional, and I think that that's yeah, I felt okay. I like most of them were. Almost, actually, almost all of them, with the exception of uh, uh, Cecil. And and uh, Melanie Griffith. They were the only two characters Honey that, had any kind of, they had any kind of uh, depth to them at all. The other, other characters, I like, mean, they had their one, they had their one, like, sh- you know, spiel or thing. That they well, they all, had, they all had, like, one thing in common, and that was being super annoying. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I think they're, I think they're all just caric- caricatures of reality, and I mean that those are like blown up and they're over overdone. And when you go to to a street guy and he and he draws you on the street, that's what he does. He focuses on the the the, the your nose, or your face, or whatever. I I don't know where I'm going with this, but I mean, cool. you see where you see where I'm understanding. Like, yeah, it's irritating because it's meant to be an overblown caricature. Of what reality is. Yeah, but the question is the the question is are the characters one sided by design or I think by, by design by poor poor writing. But I also thought that was I don't think it was poor writing. I think it is by design. And actually, I I don't know. I differ from you guys. I found it to be more endearing than it was irritating for me. Really? Yeah. I would say I'm like, I would say that's the same for me too. Is like I already accept that they're. Um, annoying like i already accept that they're extreme i already accept that everything is just totally over the top so What's like once i like about him, once though? i accept that now i'm just like taking it for what it is like i'm just kind of like i'm just kind of accepting that like this character just is into drugs this character what used to be in porno films like you know that's like the only information i feel like uh, i need to know about even, such a big group of people i'm not even talking about that that part of it though i'm talking about the part where they're just film snob assholes like that's exactly well, what that's they are definitely how that was supposed to be written i know if i know that's, if that's what you're pulling if that's what you're trying to describe then yeah that's how those characters were supposed to be Portraying those roles, the thing I'm I'm but I'm they, talking about is I just did not find them likable at all, and that's the hardest thing for me to get into a movie is I gotta kind of give a shit about that character. But that's my point too. Aren't they supposed to be like the heroes, and we're supposed to care about them when they die? But you don't because you're like God. I just hate who you are. I don't. I did think I, I did think to myself when the one dude got shot in the head. I was like, oh, thank fucking Christ. I don't know if I could <laughs> deal with another like minute of him on the on screen. I don't know. I think I think the way that they die in the film. I don't. I, I think. They are trying to make a disconnect. I think you're supposed to laugh when one of these guys dies. Hmm. Uh, I agree. okay, that's one way to look at it. Yeah, I didn't really think about it that way. I, I guess you could. Uh, yeah, I mean, because it is it, it is a comedy. It's a dark comedy. You know, it, it's obviously that. But I mean, there's there's more to it than that. Um, you know what, guys? Let's take a break real quick. And when we come back, uh, we'll talk more about uh, Cecil B. Demented. Obviously, we have a lot to say about it, so uh, stay tuned. When I was 10 years old, my entire family fucked me under the Christmas tree. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I bet you are. <laughs> jingle balls, jingle balls. My stupid brother started singing. <laughs> you think that's funny? No, I don't. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, we're talking about Cecil B. Demented, directed by John Waters. Uh, I want to talk about the main actress now, Melanie Griffith. Griffith? Is that right? Griffith. Griffith. All right. Griffith. So we're going to talk about her Griffith. next. Uh, I just want to talk about her performance in the film. She is the lead actress in this film, definitely. Um, 
I don't. She just sucks. She sucks. <laughs> well, I mean, yes. li- little known fact, she uh, won a Raspberry Award that year for this very she, film. She did win it, or was she nominated? She won it. She won I it. I believe. Well, film. let me hold on before we have to correct ourselves. Yeah, no yeah. I know. She, I, she was definitely nominated. I know she was nominated for a Razzie, which is well deserved. Let's talk about it, dude. <laughs> she, her expression's the same throughout the the whole film, even when she's in, like, even when she's on their side. Yeah. yeah. Yes. To correct, nominated, not one. It definitely felt like nominated. she kind of phoned that one in. She phoned it in. Phoned home. Phoned I think she, it in. I. I she phoned, you never heard the term "phoned it in"? What does that mean? It means that know. means like like. You're on autopilot. Yeah, you you're you're like, hey, we need you to act this movie. So like, you're sitting on your couch and you just fucking call in your lines and that's it. Like, you don't put any effort into it whatsoever. <laughs> it's phoned yeah. it in. You never you never phoned you never phoned in at work or anything. No, no, no. Right. no. He's, you know, I like he's a my hard job. Worker. You do everything at hundred percent. I like my job. Hundred and ten. Willembrack. That's what we call them. That's what they call them on the streets. People don't know that. I was only one sick ten one day last up? year. Well, Anyways, going back to her, uh, she's just stale throughout the whole thing. Even, but so, but here's the thing, because I feel like a lot of the actors are. Even yep. Stephen Dorff is very stale. Nah, I mean, I, I think he, I think he played the role that he was supposed to play well. I think he was, he was. At that level of extreme the whole time. Yeah, but that's all that character is, is extreme. Well, I think I think almost every character in any John Waters film was very one-sided. Yep. Until it's like, this is what up. you do, and this is this is how you do it. Yeah, like, that's why I say it has a theatrical element to it. Like, I mean... What do you mean? It's just projecting and just, like, being... Yeah, but even, Exaggerating your, it, your movements and your dialogue. Even in theater, characters have depth and background and, like, you know... Like every character in a John Waters film feels like theater extras. <laughs> well, I mean, are, are they just representatives of things? Before. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're not fleshed out characters because they're just representations of. Is that what it is, or are, I, we, are we going back to? Is it just? Is it just not written enough, or does he not? I guess that's, that's, that's going to be the main shit. question we're asking ourselves for this whole podcast. Is probably that. Yeah. I think. I think. Even to better understand it, and you know, of course, this is going to take some like research on whoever's part is interested. But, but you have to see his other films too, and 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 you have to know that it's obviously a choice that he is making to to have these actors um, act in this way. This is not a this is not like an oversight. I mean, this is a person who's like a cinephile. Like he he knows films. He knows what good acting, bad acting is. It's not like. It's not like I just don't know what I'm doing. It's like no, this is how I want this character portrayed. So he chose to portray them as just stale, I guess. Well, I can tell you how Roger Ebert summed it up for them. He said he gave this film two and a half stars, and he said it's a home movie which a bunch of kids are just goofing off. <laughs> that's how he described this film. Nice. But for me, I think that's what makes it endearing. I think that that was the point of the film. Hmm. Now, here's another question for you: Is it a cult film because? It has a, a cult following, which it does, but is it a cult film also because it was made to be a cult film? Because I feel like it was all, I, I personally feel like it was made to be a cult film, so I don't know. I think all of John Waters' films, I mean, Chris can, can Chris is the uh, expert on John Waters, but I feel like all of his movies just naturally just fall into that cult film category because of the following that he has as a director. Agreed. Definitely. Right. I, I think... I, again, I don't think it started that way necessarily, but it, it it ended up forming you know itself into that, and he just became a cult icon um, in film. And so 
all of his films naturally are going to kind of fall under that cult status. Now, whether it's a successful cult or not is a you know, cult film is, is different. Like we talked about big trouble in little China. That was, I think that was more a more successful cult film than any John Waters film, except for maybe pink flamingos, but hairspray, but ultimately like he's always going to get cult status. Okay. Okay. I mean, I I think it's interesting when they when they bust into the the movie theater and that girl says, "Oh, I love Quentin Tarantino." I mean, that's another guy that's also like steeped in like cult movies, you know. Mm-hmm. Somebody that that got his education from that. So I I found it kind of humorous that he was kind of I don't know if he was criticizing Tarantino or if he was trying to liken himself to some extent because I feel like they're two directors that are kind of cut from the same education. Yeah, like movie watchers making films. Right. Hmm. And maybe maybe that's why he makes fun hmm. of film students. He does make fun of film students, and uh, I, that's what I feel like the 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 group of filmmakers is though. It's like a group of film students, like, and they represent like film student dropouts. But yeah, like, but they're hardcore, like into like you know not liking mainstream cinema. Like that's the it that the mainstream cinema said like well, a billion times during the movie. Well, I can tell you because I. I I, I personally went to film school. You do have that kind of mentality coming out of there because they don't... I mean, the, the films that they show you in film school, they try to go to the fundamentals of it and stuff like that. So you're watching a lot of, like, you know, Boonwell and, like, Spielberg and, like, Ellie Kazan, like, and all these other filmmakers. You're not watching, like... You know, you're not watching like you know Independence Day or something. Well. No, you might you might watch Cecil B. Demented. I don't... <laughs> I don't know what what class that would have been. I might have missed that one. But most of the stuff was just you know, you're you're watching like the Maltese Falcon and stuff like that, and you're looking at lighting and you're looking at this. So you get this attitude when you come out of film school, like yeah, man, this is back in the day when film was filmed for films, not like the crap that they're showing right now. But you know, back then when people were watching those films, do you think they had an understanding of that? I don't know. I think there are great films that get made now by Hollywood that maybe. 15 years down the line they'll be studying film schools i'm sure yeah you know it's not don't, don't be wrong i believe 90 90 of the stuff that comes out of hollywood is shit but there's still some gems being produced and it was probably the same way back then though. i think it always is I there, think yeah hollywood i mean the only reason hollywood exists is because they always they always pour all the money into the sure thing the big film whatever film's gonna make the most money and you know, at least for the last thirty years, it hasn't been. You know, it hasn't been. You know, well-written dramas or great story-driven stuff. It's been. You know, how how much can we wow the audience with the visuals? It's you like know? here and gone so quick. You know. Yeah. yeah. But that's also what this movie is saying. Yeah, I mean, that was the whole thing. Like at the time when it was made, you know, Forrest Gump was like the film that was sweeping the nation. In two thousand, I think it was a little bit before that. Yeah. Well, they were making the sequel to the film in 2000 because it had that big of an impact and they thought that that was I guess they they, they wanted the to make fun of it you, you know? mean in the movie in the not, movie, in, not in real life yeah I don't think there was a sequel made in no. real life to Forrest Gump I never, never thought that was even even a possibility I do like Kevin Nealon in the movie I will say that <laughs> Kevin Nealon might be the best actor Stole in the movie the show <laughs> yeah him and William the wheelchair kid who's making oh faces. That scene is hilarious, though. Yeah. That yeah. scene is really funny. There is funny moments in this movie. There, There is there is funny moments. You know what I mean? I don't want people to think that there's not any humor in this film uh, from what I'm saying. There is humor in this film. I just don't know if there's enough of it. Like, I yeah. found the pacing to be very slow. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I did. It, it seemed like it took, like, I was just like, just hurry up. I think, yeah. um, I think... 
what I will agree with on this film is not a whole lot happens in the time that we are with these characters. You know, it's it's kind of redundant. It, yeah. You know, you you go from from the lair where they all like hide out and live to, you know, shooting one scene outside of it that happens they go back to the lair then they go out and shoot another scene and back and then out again you know so there's just not a lot of different things happening but i think it's uh, the pacing for me the more i watch it feels slower but i remember when i first saw the movie i thought it went by like that like super quick and maybe that's because it was all you know we're all filmmakers. I was trying, I was identifying with a lot of what they were talking about. I felt like, Oh, this is like the punk rock of filmmaking. You know, this is like, want to go out and be rebellious and not give a fuck obviously to the extreme. And so it was, it was inspiring, even though it was like a comedy and obviously like a very exaggerated dark comedy. So speaking of punk rock, those soundtracks, this film, I felt like, uh, Whenever anything was happening, it was just like, you know, chunk and driving, you know, punk or death metal music. I, I You know what? I know, I, I guess it fits for the film, but it took me out of it for some reason. Like, I wasn't enjoying, like, I don't know, the soundtrack distracted me way too much from a film that I'm already uh, having a hard time paying attention to. I don't think so. I think it fits the film perfectly. You can't put a score in there. You can't put it. Well, I'm like not saying you there. could score, but fucking tone it down, maybe a little bit or less. <laughs> Turn it stuff. down. I, no, I'm not. No, I'm get out of here. No, that's what not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I am a, I'm an, a definite fan of death metal or any kind of hard rock music. I love it, but. I don't know. It just didn't fit for some reason. I don't know what else you could have put in. I, I just know. don't know. You, you but, can't be putting in like Thomas Newman. As <laughs> who knows? Maybe it just would have been weird enough to work. There was a lot of hip hop in the film, and I mix, just didn't yeah. like it. They had uh, Liberace at the end as she's being led into the, you know, the wagon. <laughs> Let's talk about the end, because everybody dies. Yeah. No one makes it. No, that's not true at all, actually. Yeah. I don't know why I disagreed with you. Molly Griffin makes it. She makes she it. She makes it. The uh, sound, sound guy ma- makes it. Satanist yeah. makes it. Maggie um, Gyllenhaal. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, who's the, um, what the, what the guy do? Best Set looking designer, girl in the movie. Production designer. He makes it. They both make it. She's yeah. the best looking girl in the movie, by the way. Who? Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah, she is. Hands down. She is my least favorite role in the, of what? all she's the characters. What? She's probably my favorite role. Really? She's probably one of the funniest characters in the movie. Uh, I don't know. I, with the Satanist was, stuff, I thought it was hilarious. That was uh, I don't know. I again, everything was over the top. So that's why it, it was, was funny. funny. It was funny at first, and then it was like redundant. Yeah. Who was your favorite character then? My favorite character, other than Cecil, is probably Lyle, the drug addict. The drug addict main, the lead. Yeah, the lead. He was he was good. Adrian Grenier, guys. Yeah, he's good from Entourage. Who mm. plays the porn star? Does anyone know? Oh. Uh, Alicia Witt. She yeah. doesn't really do that much. I, I haven't seen her in that much, but yeah, yeah I'll tell you why. Because of this movie. Because of the, she's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> she's yeah. not. Very I felt good. like her best performance was the the uh, porn film that they wa- that were they were watching in the movie. That was another that funny was scene. The, the when she stands up and she's like she's like porn fans, hardcore porn fans, you know, help us out and they all look like zombies. They all look like zombies, like with their dicks in their hands, <laughs> whacking off as they walk towards the teamsters. I would say probably, that was pretty funny. I, I think I, th- I would say my favorite scene I laughed the most at was the uh, when they go into the theater. It's the kung fu. It's like action fans, help us! And they're all like throwing like judo chops and shit. Yeah, and like to- terrible kicks yeah. and punches. Yeah, that was funny too. 
But I mean, yeah, I, I, you guys like so you liked Lyle the best. Yeah, M- Mike, who did you like the best? I mean, probably Cecil. Really? Yeah. So, really? I think yeah. uh, not my favorite. Kyle, who's yours? Dude, I don't. Uh. Don't, if you had to pick one, don't don't make me pick now. If you had to pick one, <laughs> Ricky Lake, uh, just, Ricky Lake, yeah, just, just force <laughs> it out of you. Um, you know, I, I probably Cecil because he at least his character at, was the most like developed. I knew the most about him, so I actually kind of cared the most about him. What did you guys think about all the sexual tones in the film? As far as like not necessary, the, over the top, just I, to not be over necessary the top. at all. No, it was just extreme to be extreme. Can I just say something, guys? Go ahead. I'm very surprised, especially from you, Cody, that you're saying this after you love Toxic Avenger. I, <laughs> I found so many. I thought that this film and Toxic Avenger, in terms of like the characterizations of everybody, were very, very similar. Really? Like over the top characters that they're just like, there's not much to them. We don't get a lot of backstory. It's just their representations of like violence and sex. And crime. Yeah, but it's like, it's without the slapstick, and I think that's what I love about. You didn't think it was slapstick? No, no, there uh, wasn't really any slapstick in this one. Yeah, to- to- that was a, a saving guy gets grace of toxic. Shot Avenger. in the dick and then falls on his mother's. That hood. is in the last like five minutes of the film. If they exactly. had done that, like you know, in the first twenty, they would have paid off a little bit more. But it was like. Who cares at that point? Like, the movie's almost over. What's I, not slapstick about, like, a, a crowd of people rushing to get out of the movie theater, falling over each other, puking on the ground? Yeah. Like, because they had guns shot in their at, face. Like, yeah. They had they have, guns in their face. Didn't they have guns in their face in Toxic Avenger? They no. had knives. And, uh, well, there was a shotgun in a baby's face. Yeah. Big difference. But <laughs> they got beat up by a mop. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, I think they're both in their own right. Obviously, a, a little bit of a different just, style of humor. I, just, I, I think. <coughs> I think that this Toxic Avenger took a different route with it. I just think they take a more serious route with it in, and maybe that's just the tone I got from the film. But that that I think they take a more serious route with it in Cecil Be Demented. They try. Yeah, they try to make the jokes seem more serious. Is what you're saying? Yes. Like, so okay. you wanted. So what? Basically, what you're saying, you wanted a limit. And then they didn't pass that limit. Like, there was a line drawn where things go so crazy that you're like, okay, never mind. All this characterization, all this crazy, over-the-top stuff, this is cool. And then you think that, are you saying that you think that Waters find, was just behind that line? Just he didn't the, push I, it far enough? I didn't find his, his uh, I didn't find it wacky enough to, to, to be like, oh, their violence is hilarious. Their violence was not hilarious to me. Their violence was not funny to me. It was... They were, again, putting themselves in real places and real situations to get a reaction out of the crowd as they were filming them of terror, of mm-hmm. real terror. So yeah. if that's the, the characters that the extras are portraying, then that's what I guess I was getting across the screen rather than like, this is crazy. Well, we're in a gym and fighting in the background. I think, I, I think the film just lacked balance between all the elements. Like you wanted to have – you know, extreme, you want to have humor, you know, like the, the the difference between like the extreme characterization and the like the extreme like sexual overtones and everything. It just wasn't balanced. It didn't feel like it was fitting together correctly. So like there was like it was over the top and like at like you get like overdosed for five minutes of the sexual stuff. And then you've got another 40 minutes of them being ridiculous. Like well, it wasn't a balance in there for me to actually like enjoy it. It was like the, like the stuff that kind of bothered me. Like let's uh, when Melly Griffith had to take her clothes off and she was wearing a full fucking outfit 
underneath her clothes. And like everybody's looking through the peepholes, just going, ooh, ah, uh, like they're masturbating, but they're not masturbating because they can't. So it just didn't fit. Like it was like, that's not funny because it doesn't well, make sense. Well, they're dry humping. It, I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was funny. I didn't think it was know. necessary. I don't know. I just didn't feel the. It, some of the some of the elements really did feel like it was off the cuff. It wasn't thought of. It was just like while doing it, let's just do it and use it, and which works out a lot in filmmaking. You know, when when you're in you're in the midst of it, and like new ideas get formed, and you know everybody knows a movie kind of writes itself as you start going. But um, I think they use too much of the of the um, you know less is more. Less is go. more. Is the you think they improved? They imp. Thank you. That was a yeah. word that I was just not coming to mind. Yeah, I think I think they improved, which is good. You should improv when you're making a film, but I think they used too much of the improv um, shots, and almost like you know lost lost sight of like the end game or lost sight of the script too much. Chris, how do you feel about the the, the sex tones in the film? It's all about frust- To me, it's all about frustration. Too to to like yeah. we have to suffer for our art, so they do it sexually. It was that. Do you think that was meant to be funny, or do you think he was trying to say something? No, I, think I don't think that. Was, I don't think that was meant to be funny. But I, I I think that was definitely poking fun at artists that do things like that. I think, you know, there there are those pe- people out there that um, they they feel like they have to sacrifice something for their art or some you know another person or whatever. And I think that this was just trying to show the tension of like. And and also move the story forward. Like we like as as lame as it sounds, like we wanna fuck each other, but we can't until we finish this thing that we all committed to do. You know, it's like so I just think it was just like a layer. I don't really think it was meant to be funny necessarily. Okay, because it, it is throughout the whole film, Mike. Do you think that maybe uh, that was a, an attempt at the slapstick I was talking about, like sexual humor? That's funny, right? Let, let's over-exaggerate it, like, which they did. They did the same thing in The Toxic Avenger. I think you're referring to the, the full-on sex scene at the end of the film where they're all fully clothed, and it just makes, like, a gross, wet popping noise. Right. Which is funny. That made me laugh. I'll, <laughs> I'll agree to that one. Like, that scene made me laugh until someone got shot, and then I was like, well, and it went on for way too long. Well, she gets she gets shot in mid orgasm too, which I think is yeah. <laughs> but I, mean, I, 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 I felt, uh, I felt uh, like but, it was right before the climax, so it was like she never even got to get listen, get uh, her O off. I'll definitely agree with you guys that this film has more serious subtext to it than Toxic Avenger. I mean, you guys all disagreed with me that Toxic Avenger was about like post Cold War paranoia. That's true. But this film is definitely. And let's just because this is just an obvious. It's a definitely based in the Patty Hearst kidnapping. Oh yes, definitely. Just, oh, there's yes. no doubt about it. I mean, Patty Hearst is in the film. It's about a, a, a relatively famous actress that gets kidnapped and then basically goes through Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, and then becomes part of the movement, and she's in it. You know, yeah. and that's the exact same thing that happened to Patty Hearst. Yeah. So I mean, well, they're good friends. No, and no. I, so I, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past him to pull some inspiration from the crazy shit he's heard from her. You mm-hmm. know, they. I mean, he's been, she's been in his film since, um, the '80s. Like he, I forget what the first one was, but I know she was definitely in Serial Mom at the end. She gets murdered. She was in Pecker. She was in. Um, I don't think she was in Hairspray. I think it was right after Hairspray she started. I mean, I gotta admit, brave move by her, really, to Did be able to, to 
Well, I mean, yeah, to be associated, I mean, to be in this film that is essentially her story, but just completely like just a, a different with a different take on it, obviously, but also making fun of it and also kind of playing it off. Like, I mean, I guess the question at the end of the movie, too, is does any does anybody feel that the movement, this terrorist movement, which essentially it is, it's a bunch of film students that go turn into terrorists. Does anybody relate to that? No. Like, no one's no one thought for a second, like, yeah, man, crappy freaking Hollywood movies, man. Totally. If we could just shake up the system, like, oh, God. I mean, not obviously not to that extent. No, I did no. not think that. Okay, I'm just curious. I, I was just posing the question. Chris, like, did you think that? I think that I think that all filmmakers want to do something that shakes up the norm. They want to, you know, create something new. And, uh, yeah, I think I have felt that way before. Maybe, again, not to the extreme. I mean, we can't, we can't take it to the extreme in real life as what they do in the film. But, like, yeah, I've wanted to make a movie that was, like, holy shit. I mean, you got to think this was 2000. Like, reality TV wasn't that big at that time. It was kind of just starting to really wave up, you know. So the idea of catching real terror on, you know, on film and this whole thing, I mean, that was kind of like a a newer idea, at least for filmmaking. Do you think it influenced anything then? I, I, cause I don't no, know. I think it was just a product of the time. I don't think it like moved it forward in any way. I think there was a, more way influential things for reality TV. The Blair Witch Project was probably a really big one. Mm-hmm. I think mm. that kind of put the idea in people's heads like, hey, we kind of like this like point of view. You know, I feel like I'm kind of in the story more because I am the camera and, you know, so... But um, but I think this was definitely playing up, trying to play in the the reality TV thing, the re, the reality of Hollywood, and like the maybe wannabe reality of guerrilla filmmaking. Okay, so okay, yeah, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. Hey guys, let's take a quick uh, a quick a quirk. Let's quirk. take. Hey guys. <laughs> hey guys, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about Cecil B. Demented. No ad living. Three dollars for a fucking candy bar. You call that a medium? This is still popping coconut oil. Listen to it. All right, guys, and we're back. All right, we're talking about Cecil B. Demented, the John Waters film. Um, we're going to jump in here and just go ahead and uh, talk about uh, the final thoughts on the movie and give our uh, reviews. What are we doing? We're doing Flaming Heads this time? We're doing Flaming Heads because, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, she sets her hair on fire. Sets her hair on fire fire and the effect is amazing <laughs> it is 10 million dollar budget and that's where it went that's where <laughs> it went went right into that flaming head all right guys so uh oh man i just i had a hard time with this movie uh i laughed uh, you know a couple of times i chuckled i chuckled you know i didn't mm-hmm. really laugh super hard um i didn't like any of the characters um it just it seemed to go on for way too long for me. Uh, I gotta give this. I mean, the, uh, since I did enjoy some of the scenes and some of the stuff, I gotta give it. I, I'll give it three out of five. Flaming heads. Three out of five. Is three out of five. Right. All right, Mike. I thoroughly enjoyed this film. I think it's a. I think it's a film fans cult film, a filmmakers cult uh, film. I think it's a film students cult film. As long as you're able to look back at yourself and point point a finger and laugh at yourself for the things that we see making films or whatnot. Yeah, I think it's a great film, and I would give it uh, four flaming heads. Hmm. 
Wow. Wow. Indeed. Wow, four flaming heads for Mike. Yep. Damn. Chris, how many flaming heads would you give it? And uh, final thoughts on the film. <laughs> final thoughts on the film. Um, I still really love this film. You know, I've seen it a lot. It's been a while. Um, you start to realize things about films. The older you get, the more films you see. I don't think I like the film as much as I did in the beginning when I first saw it years and years ago. I'm going to give it four out of five. Um, it's not one of John Waters' best films, um, but agreeing with Mike, I think it's made for the filmmaker and the film lover, and I think anybody who's interested in that will will love the humor. Kyle? Uh, yeah. Um, final thoughts on the film. Like like you said, I mean, I honestly, I... I can't say that I, I uh, enjoyed the film, but the reasons reasoning behind me not enjoying the film was more of a creative differences. I would have, I wish he would have spent more time developing characters. There's no creative differences on a Cecil B. Demented set. Okay, just saying. <laughs> That's a line from the film. Spoiler alert. Um, I'm gonna give it uh, two and a half flaming heads out of five. Two and a half flaming heads out of five. Like it's just a slightly smoldering head. Yeah, like like just kindling a little bit. Like it hasn't caught yet. Yeah. I don't know. I like it's like like Cody said. I mean, I chuckled at a few parts. There there were some parts that made me laugh. And and you know, to Mike's point, yeah, the, this is a movie for uh, aging filmmakers who aging <laughs> who kind of look back on on their youth with you know tired eyes, but. all right guys join us next week when we're talking about american werewolf in london that is mike's pick i'm excited to talk about it great effects in that movie a lot going on we'll be talking about that uh you can find us on twitter mike where can they find us on twitter they can find us on twitter at at cult film underscore review okay you can also find us on facebook just search cult film and review you can find each of us individually uh at our individual places that you can find us so follow us there uh we'll be seeing you next week don't come to my individual place. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next week, guys.